0: Come back! Welcome the Show live. I'm Skillball One. Tonight's guest is Blue of Green Tank. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: Before we get it's into right? it, I want, to, uh, I want to remind everyone you can see the show on Twitch. Uh, let's see. Check out Blue at Blue of Green Tank on Instagram. Um, Blue is from Maine. That's the other stuff to mention. Check out Discord our sponsors dick medibles and that's it uh, off the top we uh we famously know of blue because he invented the avocado tech uh implementation and Skilbo heard of that some time ago and uh, skillbo is a fanboy it's been throwing avocados on his soil since then and uh i've been wondering why so i'm i'm excited to hear why i've been wondering what here
1: we are yeah i'll get my phone sideways here get a little bit in the uh,
3: guys yeah blue i'd love to i'd love to you know repeat a little bit pre-show uh here again the the one thing that blew me away right off the top was how long you've been growing man tell us about that
1: yeah man i'm kind of embarrassed to say it's been almost 30 years now um yeah when i was uh about i don't know th- 13 14 years old uh one of my punk ass friends uh put some seeds into a uh plant pot at my mom's house and uh and up the plant and um the rest is history so uh yeah i've been uh, cultivating for a long time um more seriously cultivating in the last probably eight years or so you know uh, um as far as uh you know organics and uh kind of more towards the style that i'm rocking these days so yeah but cultivating for a long time for
4: sure blue that sounds very familiar i mean i'm i'm clearly a little bit younger than you are because I don't have 30 years. I'm more in the 20 year range, but, uh, yeah, I was about that same age, man. I know the feeling Popping yeah. seeds at a young, young buck age. It was on some, uh, mom, can I
1: keep him? Can I keep him? Can I keep him? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I probably, that, that plant was
4: probably a male at the time. You know, it's intriguing at that age, man. When you, if you can understand cannabis just a little ever so slightly, you know what I mean? It's pretty wild. I assume you popped your first
2: plant and something outdoors like a gorilla grower in a pot or something like that outside
1: yeah that that uh, that little seedling that popped up in one of my mom's house plants got uh, transferred to under some lights um, probably some fluorescence at the time or something like that and was held over until the season started in Maine and uh, Dave, was- you were wise then you you knew a uh, little bit about a little bit. Yeah, my mom actually was a, is was, she's retired now, but was an estate gardener um, around here. There's a lot of, there's a big summer community down on Mount Desert Island where I live. Um, And uh, they, you know, there's a lot of nice gardens. And so that was her, her job for many, many years was just an estate gardener and garden planner. Um, And my dad was a hell of a vegetable gardener. So all the way, you know, my youngest, my youngest memories and uh, pictures and everything are me sitting, you know, beside my dad while he's harvesting Swiss chard or you know my
3: mom while she's you know planting flowers so yeah it's been a dude good. you got the double green thumb going maybe we got both of them
2: <laughs> you got the indoor gardening mentorship from like a toddler age
5: that's crazy that's awesome yeah
1: yeah she probably suggested it she's probably like why don't you throw these under some fluorescence <laughs> she you was called for it more. you know but that's 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 what set it off from there and then yeah I used to grow outdoors every season and then eventually moved into to indoor and more so as things got um destigmatized and legalized here I, I you know kind of doubled down and was like okay you know I've got experience here but let me really learn you know the indoor aspect because I live in Maine and it's cold so
0: what's um, the latest you can keep them outside there
1: like Uh you got to
0: be in by
1: I mean I've had runs that have uh, that have pulled around November seventeenth, and that's oh really, shit. They really, really super rare. That's even
0: good for around here.
3: But what's yeah. like your normal? Because like, uh, <laughs> like I'm like getting real sketch mid October, man. <laughs> yeah. well,
2: what's your parallel? What, where where are you at in the world? Damn, I was gonna ask.
3: Amos that
0: in
1: for
3: Uncle Rick over there. Thirty fifth, 35th? Is that? Yeah,
0: yeah. you look no.
1: September. We usually have a real wet patch in the beginning of October, and that can really you know, mess things up for a lot of people. Um, But a lot of times if you have some cover or you can stay the course or you have a hoop house or whatever it might be, if you can get through that patch, you'll get, as the weather cools off, you know, the botrytis and all of the, you know, the things that we want to avoid tends to calm down. Um, And that's just a jewel from growing for a long time. It doesn't always happen, but sometimes you can like, if you can triage and manage what, you know, the damage that you're taking um, and then sometimes you can get through that rough patch and finish out really nice and get some mature, you know, you know, full, full run, which is very important around here. I mean, I'd almost rather, um, since I do grow inside, I would almost rather uh, just take a complete L than um, pull way super too
3: early. You know, I got a, I got a quick organic question for you in regards to botrytis because I've heard this uh, said before, and I don't know what the science may or may not be behind it. But in your experience, if you had two plants outdoors and you were growing them through that wet October, They're the same strain, same, you know, treated the the same way the whole way through, except you're growing one with bottle nutrients and one with your avocado tech. Do you think that organic kind of blend is more capable of fighting off a disease like Botrytis?
1: From my experience, genetics are the number one factor Um, and obviously just the little idiosyncrasies of how the weather I mean, generally, botrytis sporulates because it's getting that ping-ponging of of temperature and humidity, sometimes one, sometimes the other, generally both. Um, But, um, yeah, uh, I would say that probably the organics would be better suited, the the straight organics, and especially sort of the... um, the the long format organics, as I call it, which is more like um, in-container composting um, or applying compost, things like that, they're more the hunter-gatherer. They're out there um, hustling to get there to make nutrients available in their soil system, whereas the other one is more like a pampered athlete that's getting you know the bottled nutrients just handed to them. They're going to excel, but again, when adversity comes, there's a little bit more of that hunter-gatherer vibe in some of the organics that can allow it to sort of weather the storm a little bit but again you're you're looking at bud size you're looking at how did you train your plant you're looking at a lot of like a ton of factors but i will just say that's why one of the reasons i was drawn to organics is it seems to have um not only more robust expressions you know in, in the plant but also just um you know end product wise um and secondary metabolite wise but also, just, you know, it's just uh, there's a little more buffer, a little more fortification. But at the end of the day, if you're getting that shitty ass weather and there's nothing <laughs> to do about it to manage it, you're going to have a few mushy, mushy, you know, colas. There's just nothing. Yeah,
3: that's fair, man. I we, We've probably all experienced it. Would you primarily say you're an indoor or outdoor grower at this point? And what, you know, I'm curious to hear about your start indoors too.
1: Um, I use them to kind of play off of each other. Like I'll use outdoor to do phenol hunts more often. um, And I'll use indoor to, to, to grow what I consider to be the most primo bag appeal. Um, And the, you know, the outdoor, there's nothing like the sun. This plant's been keyed into growing this way since, you know, way before we were handling it. And, um, you know, they're just, they're different. You know what I mean? That's going to be your best stress
2: test for trying to find the strains that aren't going to get PM and all of that sort of stuff. You grow them outside.
5: Battle tested, it, man. Yeah, at the exactly. same time, I've at least I've found, and I'm sure you've found too, that I'm, I'm, I, wanna say, I don't even want to say a lot, maybe a lot of strains. I'd say half, at least half the strains are way different when you grow it outside, outside as compared to inside. It's like sometimes you'll be yes, like, what the fuck f- just happened here? What is this? So. I can see where, you know, when I I tell people, when you're phenol, hunting, phenol hunt the way you're going to grow it, because it could be different if you don't.
3: I agree, Spartan. I actually experienced that this summer uh, kind of really for the first time, because I've grown a lot of the strains. I've grown outdoors. I've grown indoors, and they've just grown it for so long. But this garlic punch I was growing, I'm still growing indoors. I just posted a bunch of pictures and whatever of it recently from indoors. but. I mean, it stretches like crazy indoors and it's like just explodes in every different direction. It's got very wide internodal spacing, but extremely frosty dense nugs, but crazy internodal spacing until you get to like top five or whatever. So just giant spear, but outdoors it's stacked and it's stacked and it's which one it's stacked garlic punch.
0: Oh, nice. It did
3: not even look like the same plant until you really looked at the nug and it's all purple and frosty and, you know, smells the same and everything. But I mean, it took, complete different form and i'm like okay this is I'm, I'm stacking a few more of these outdoor next year you're trying to tell me that these newfangled lights aren't as good as the sun for growing? <laughs> they're doing pretty good and they're <laughs> definitely doing better than hid but there's nothing like the sun he's right it's that full spectrum maybe yeah. oh
0: i see we have our first question for you blue uh jim owen asks what are some good strains for outdoor in maine
3: um let's see
2: um And what are the qualities that you're fighting there in Maine? Like, is
0: it yeah PM or
2: yeah?
1: I mean, honestly, like in all my cultivation, the jury is still kind of out. Like, I would I would want to say like you know um, massive terpene expressions are going to be great for protecting your plant, and so therefore you know if you pick something that's really you know high in some dominant terpene, chances are that's going to be anti you know bacterial, antiviral, antifungal, um, but I mean i ran this past um this past season outside in a hundred gallon i ran something called avocado ice cream which was a very i think it had like fuerte og so it was like a very og kind of uh leaning plant and it had that like almost like school peas kind of terps. like it was like very mild and mellow but it was bulletproof so um, I, I would say probably, yeah, I mean, it just depends on the, the, the chemo var, if you will, the chemical makeup of, of, uh, of what you're growing. And again, those little, um, you know, the details of, of the weather and, and if you have cover and if you can, you know, manage your, your humidity and things like that. So um, unfortunately, the, the jury's still out. I will say from experience, um, as you guys were saying, uh, different expressions from the same plant, same cut everything. Um I talk about on my IG feed all the time this this uh cultivar that I'm calling Saber now S-A-B-E-R but I call it S B R um because when I received the cut it was a mystery cut. Um, I thought it was sugar black rose but it turned out it's a haze leaning it's totally different. But it throws these bubblegum terps especially outside but inside it expresses very, very different and uh, really, really mold uh, resistant and uh, Botrytis, uh, PMN Botrytis resistant. Um, And some, in a lot of cases, like out of the bunch, it will be the most um, uh, resistant to a lot of uh, pests as well. And it's gotta be the chemical makeup, but the morphology is even different between the two. It throws these long icy spears inside under LEDs and my living soil system inside Um, and it branches like a literal bouquet of, of nugs. It's crazy. Um, and that's why I liked it because it just grows so easily, but outside, um, you know, the the standard stuff you think of a little leafier, um, a little less potent, a little less trichome covered. Um, so, so yeah, um, the jury's still out. It's one of those things you can't just say, here's your silver bullet the strain is going to work for you it's just uh, there's so many details and
0: oh yeah man you're talking about a haze outside in maine that's just so antithetical to what you would think would be something you would want to run outside you know
3: right. but, but hold on but- I, i'm like i'm totally in agreement there because i was going to say it's in, in my opinion and experience at least kind of at this parallel or whatever what i call it or climate it seems like those hazy I've never thought about it this way, but you're right in the terpiness, And I think high in CBGA because all the strains I grow outside that do well, they're all high in CBGA, which is an antibacterial thing as well. Um, But I don't know if that translates because that's an effect it has on humans, but regardless um, it seems like the sativa kind of hazy type strains do really, really well. It's just, how do you get them to week nine? You know, (laughs) that's, it's it's through that. And, you know, you almost have to have a hoop house to get there. Yeah. And, and when I've had, uh, you know,
1: the best success I have had a hoop house or something to cover them with um but and as I spoke about before sometimes in Maine you can um you know everybody's shitting their pants in early October but if you're able to weather the storm and take some loss a lot of times you'll get into a cooler climate and the 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 atmosphere just can't hold the moisture and so you don't ha- like the botrytis just kind of disappears and it's like what the you know and yeah. you said triage and really that's the word
2: for growing outdoors it's like you got to cut your losses and kind of accept that you're growing outside bugs are going to get to some of the stuff rabbits are going to get to some of this stuff yep. and then you know you do your triage and then you
1: get to the end
2: yeah sure
1: and that's what i do i go around with a little kit that i keep in my truck um and i always like if i drive over to my greenhouse i bring a pair of really, really sharp scissors. I usually get sewing scissors like, um, for, you know, sewing and, uh, I will bring a lot of times I'll get a little spray bottle, especially with co- all the COVID stuff that's gone on. Um, I will rinse out like a little, um, antibacterial spray bottle and I'll fill it with some ice, iso- uh, not usually isopropyl, like a be- high, high proof beverage alcohol. Um, and I will go in there and I will scout everything and I will snip, 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 and try move and excise any any product i see and try to else just to slow down the spread it's it's really worked for me i mean sometimes you get into a situation where that just is not fucking possible but i just look at it like each pocket of of mold that sporulates is a, a potential to spread to another one sometimes it's systemic and there's not a whole lot
3: you can do there but um do you find bourbon or vodka works best for spraying them down in
1: good scotch like an everclear type of thing
3: you know like uh you know just ethanol maybe or yeah
1: Yeah, Blue.
2: (laughs) you
3: you got good taste real particular those (laughs) added terps, you know
1: know, but but yeah and i go you know very very carefully remove the material a lot of times i'll be spraying the scissors more than i'll actually be spraying the plant if that makes any sense you really don't spraying alcohol on your stuff if you can help it and uh it will damage the plant in areas that but a lot of times you want a little bit of that damage to kind of heal up that area so that those open wounds um aren't susceptible i had a a lot of experience battling but
0: i've never thought of it like that man that's such a different realization is you don't want it to be able to spread from right at that one spot yeah
2: right alcohol will dissolve trichomes so you want to be careful it's
0: going to brown the fuck out of them yeah for sure
1: Another thing I'll do is we had a, 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 like an a onset of some really early botrytis this year. And I don't know if it was something that a combination of, you know, unhappy nutrition wise or just really shitty weather holding a lot of moisture. But, um, yeah, it was definitely a, a, a big challenge this year. And I actually used um, rock dust, um, which is another cool little gem is if you get a, a wound on your plant, um, you can definitely douse it in some rock dust. And it seems to stifle any spread kind of interesting. It helps, uh, manage the systemic spread. Anybody who's had botrytis in your stems knows that it just is a silent creeper. You'll look and all of a sudden the branches wilted and you're like, what the fuck? And you look down below and, uh, there's some kind of botrytis damage down there, which is causing, you know, the ruining the, uh, the water, um, transport. And so rock dust, man, I've, I've used it on a, a bunch of wounds. Um, Botrytis wounds and it actually really works. And I think part of it is desiccates it and dries it all out. And the other may be
3: something having to do with the minerality. I have no idea that kind of stifles. It. It's pretty cool. Do you run dehumidifiers in your greenhouse? Because I don't know about you guys, but we had a lot of rain this year. And I know that, you know, for me, who's just growing just out in the open, you know, it's like, oh, free watering. I don't have to do any work today. You know what I mean? But at the same time, if you're in a greenhouse, it's still going to crank up that humidity. And, you know, just, just blowing air across the plants, you know, through the greenhouse isn't always enough. Yeah, I mean, I
1: do run one. Um, I bring one in uh, as soon as I get some real mass on my flowers, you know, and I start to get kind of a little nervous. That's when I will bring in a little, <clears throat> excuse me, dehumidification. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, but I do also want to get that air movement, you know, as as good as I can get it, you know, without, without causing too much of a hurricane in there. But yeah air movement is key and also just air turnover, get that air out of there, you know, and moving. And sometimes that's your friend and sometimes that works against you. You know, I have an interesting situation where one end of my greenhouse is facing a forest on the other end is facing an open area. And so there's definitely moisture coming in certain times of the year uh, from the forest. And that's a cooler air and that that can work with you. And then other times, you know, the wind's blowing in a different direction. It's pulling hot and dry air and, And uh, you want them sort of at opposite ends of the season sometimes. And I'll actually take my fans and my outtake and I'll flip-flop them um, when it starts to get really uh, wet out. There you go. Fired up.
0: What do you got, Bake?
2: You heard the gas, Bake, fired up.
5: Yeah, that's embarrassing. I couldn't get it. Uh, High octane times TK something from Porch Farmer.
2: Yeah, Porch Farmer's got high octane. I yeah agree. my
5: coworker worker grew that it's embarrassing yeah get the fuck it's out embarrassing, embarrassing you gotta too. take. You just gotta call you pwn just take the baked off oh, damn yeah. oh man Oof. Oof. Uh, he's right. spicy he's spicy tonight each each <laughs> <laughs> spicy.
0: Right. Blue, Blue. one
5: of the questions i like to ask people that have been growing for a long time is what do you think is the biggest advancement in growing cannabis that's been made over the past like couple decades or so i mean you've been doing it for 30 years so what do you think has been the biggest advancement in either like just in general or in indoor growing
1: yeah i mean i definitely uh was blown away when i was lucky to kind of like double down when the leds kind of hit the scene um I wasn't really scared. I hadn't done as much indoor cultivation under HIDs at that point. And so... Were you real early?
2: Were you like purple LEDs or did yeah. you wait a little bit?
1: Yeah, I did jump in on the purple stuff which I quickly shed that. I I realized that basically you do get what you pay for in a sense. And I came to Fluence very, very early in there. You know, when they were, what were they called? Spider BML or something. They had a different mm-hmm. name and at that point, And I had really been kind of... um shadowing a dude on youtube who was from colorado i think who was growing with them and uh that kind of keyed me in on um the results that he was getting and then i early early on jumped in on just got like a low power x1 i guess it was from the uh, spider from fluence and um so i've been kind of playing with those for a long time and have there's a learning curve certainly on leds and i have sort of that's helped helped me um, sort of dial it in at this point. So I want to say LEDs, like that's the first thing that came to my mind when you asked the question and thank you for that question. Um, And uh, other than that, I think I got to give love to blue mats only because watering is such a, um, you know, crucial piece of the puzzle and um, that and also the advent or the popularization, should I say, of scrogging. Those, Those three things, the LED, scrog, uh, and the blue mat and of course now all that on top of a living soil has it's you know for doing as little as i do the results are just i just can't deny them so mm-hmm. definitely they work
2: good together too like the blue mat works perfect for the scrog because then you don't got to deal with the net and you can water your plants and yeah yeah
1: i'm all about filling the space you know what i mean Filling mm-hmm. the space. and then i know what i have to work with for the environment you know, instead of like wondering, having all these peaks and valleys of these, you know, Christmas tree kind of um, uh, shaped, you know, plants morphologically, I-, I prefer the hedge. If and that's just uh, some people, it drives them crazy. They don't want to work with trellis nets. It's you can't move the pots around. Like I get it, but for me personally, like I like to chalk a block, whatever mm-hmm. space I have full and then I know what I'm dealing with on the, the humidity tip and what I have to manage and, and stay on top of. And I tend to lean towards cultivars that want to branch, like branching cultivars. I like to grow um, with low overhead. You know, I, I, I grow now in a space where the, the ceiling is five foot eight and then oh. subtract your lights and then subtract your 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 container.
5: Yeah, wow.
1: I grow these low slung, wide, uh, branchy, bonsai
5: um, plants, almost.
1: Low slung,
5: wide, what?
1: Yeah, think of the classic, you know, hat type of hash plant style. But then, uh, you know, I, I I don't grow hash plant. I actually, I'm about to run my first hash plant that I've run in many, many, many years, which is the um, super silver hash plant from Bodie. I've got a couple seedlings of that going right now, and that's gonna get plugged into my living soil beds, but. I grow, um, you know, even if they're taller or branchier, I just stay on them. I'm like a torture chamber dude. I I use uh, lobster lobster trap wire, and uh, it's like a coated wire. um, And I, from when they're young, I'm on them. I set it on them, um, and I just make them grow horizontally. I do not let them grow vertically and veg. um, And then my vertical growth all happens, like, right when I flip the flower and allow uh, the stretch to happen. So
2: wow
4: um,
1: portrait chamber dude
2: cool. yeah make it work for you you know right you got a limited ceiling height you make yep. your plants grow in that space and even even in the greenhouse where i have more
1: headroom i find that if i start that way and and start keeping them low and wide that um i love the results because then you do have all that headroom to work with and you end up getting you know two, three foot spears, you know, which is, is great, you know, and a whole lot of them. I like uniformity and I like, um, you know, nugs that are, I don't know, the size of two lighters put together or something like that. Like I like that. <laughs> smaller. So that
5: scrogging probably really maximized your yield then with that. It yeah. like that for sure. Then that was a gold mine for you.
1: Yeah, that was huge. So that technique also, um, I wish I could remember some of the people who inspired me on uh, IG early on and uh, and YouTube doing that, um, that style. Um, but yeah, there's, there was a, a, a gentleman I think from Australia, I want to say who was just killing it. He used to make these scrog screens that were like kind of concave and he would just fill that, uh, that space. And he was really a big inspiration. I was like, man, I want to do that, but I want to do that with the tools that I have here. So um, sure. I think I've gotten there finally, but yeah. The journey a
2: question here from Blue Kiss asking if you've run across a strain that doesn't uh doesn't like that training style as much. Like what have you not been able to run because now you have to grow?
1: Yep. Um I have noticed um I ran uh, dirty Starbucks. Um that's from So Good Seeds, I want to say, and um great great breeder and and uh, seed spot by the way. And um that has some of Kaya's coffee in it from Pacific Northwest Roots. And that was just a big lady. And um, I was able to do it that. um, Daddy Mac was another one. Um, I tend not to really like the super OG structured plants because, you know, I'm talking about the one where you get like a node, a stick, a node, a stick, and then one, you know, apical um, cola. Yeah. You know, they tend not to want to branch as much and they branch kind of at different times. So sometimes if I'm not on them, they'll get away from me a little bit and I'll grow them up into the lights a little bit or something like that. Um, and that's another interesting thing that I do is I'm not an led mover. I don't not constantly adjusting the led and affecting PPFD that way. I leave them pretty much fixed and I grow my plants up into the led so that I've timed the canopy, right? That it's going to get the max PPFD when it's, when it should and uh then i use my dimmers in the end and i'll dim those leds back to like kind of like take the pressure off of that off the plant uh later in its life and that's a little dial it in kind of thing that i do that that really helps my results for sure Mm -hmm.
5: now somehow we've Gone almost. A, we have. We've gone a half hour, and we haven't even mentioned avocado tech. We, I know. We got to let it quickly. We We're, <laughs> We're getting. I, earlier,
0: I, I see the I see the pitchfork
5: starting to come, and the fucking torches no. starting to be lit. So we got it. We got at least talk about avocado. Here's tech
0: the avocado tech
5: guy. you, you just don't it? like really, foreplay, yeah. Yeah. I know man. Uh, ready. We yeah, to the point. Point. Simmer, man. Maybe simmer. I like to cut through the. I just like to cut right to it, man. Yeah. Let's, let's <laughs> talk, about that it. I've, I've also heard food job right. oh, that what you like to call it more, or are you, you still like... That lady, are
0: day? you surprised?
1: Um. It's, you just you get like, rid of that bit. Things where it's I. There's nothing I can do about it now. If I want to change the name, people are still going to call it what it was. I didn't even name it. Right.
0: just said. Right. Doing it. It was a hashtag. Is what it was. We have
1: to put tech after whatever it's called, and it's So you're just stuck with it. Like, I'm not from the West Coast. I have no clue what tech was as far as you know, technology, technique. I looked at it as a technique. Um, and you know, on the low, that's I'm glad we, we got a half hour in because it's so much more than that. Like, that's just it is the main tenet of what I do, but um, there's so many other little things that I do that I'm not going to just attribute at all to avocado tech, and, and there's a lot of different sub styles within avocado tech anyway so you know I, i'd love to talk about it for sure but i appreciate you know getting this far in. it's 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 so much more than that honestly and i get pigeonholed a lot because people just think i'm doing some little gimmicky technique and really it's just it it facilitates what i my results and that's why i'm right. so heavy and i just envision it being the just the cleanest cannabis possible when you know every single goddamn thing that that went into your plant. Like it's just, that's that I only smoke my own weed generally because I, I trust it. You know what I mean? It's
0: complementary to the system. It's working within the boundaries of the system.
1: And then in, and it can be folded into other, other systems as well. I mean, I'm, I don't jump all over the place and grow styles. I do what I do, but I love seeing everybody, implemented all over the world at this point i have people hitting me up from chile and brazil and russia and south africa a lot of people rock with it out there in south africa like
3: it's just well quit teasing us what is this avocado tech
1: so basically like that people toss around this fruit drop theory and what that is is that um you know fruiting trees will reserve in a sense uh part of their resources to propagate the next round, whether it be seed or, you know, um, continuing on growing in the next year, but they'll drop a portion of their fruit and that facilitates a lot of biological interaction underneath, you know, the plant itself and, um, acts as a hub to maintain that biology in one sense. Um, but you know, also feeds the flora and the fauna around it. So it's just, it's, it's woven into a bigger system than just plopping something down on the ground. Um, and so I just you know being stoned staring at my plants figured you know i i can't i don't want to do a big messy compost or a smelly jadam or i kind of just ruled a ton of things out i don't want to put up a whole medicine you really like avocado toast um i just you know i don't want to do all that what can i do and and then i looked at uh you know cold composting and vermicomposting and i'm like i don't want to do the whole worm bin thing um but i was interested in it and studied it you know pretty heavily and then i thought what are the reasons that i can't do this in container and i looked at all those different reasons and then i slowly took out all the negative variables until i got something that was fairly safe which is something small you know and and uh something nutrient dense and that ended up being an avocado i tried not a lot of moisture. Mangoes, I tried, eggplant, some other funny things at the beginning, which are a little bit inferior in my opinion, and then came with the whole twice-baked potato thing. And so avocado tech essentially is taking a domed fruit, picture an avocado, because it's the easiest way to envision it, uh, removing the meat inside and the seeds, pureeing them into a guacamole, if you will, and then adding your dry amendments or whatever way you'd like to steer your plants adding that into the filling, returning it to the shell and then putting it face down on your soil system and your worms come up. They're attracted by the moist, you know, area, good place to hang out. They happen to love avocados as they begin to rot. Um, lots of aldehydes and nesters and all kinds of fermentation, a lot of things going on underneath that, um, that, that area. It's a and-
0: knot. It's but- just a big knot of worms
1: we all know that we lose a lot of avocados in our fridge to uh, fuzz and, and, and mush. And so those, that's when you want to use this. Um, and uh, you can fold in something that's kind of specifically timed to the stage of cannabis. Again, you have to put it down a little earlier and, and it's kind of like a running tally of front loading nutrients basically. Um, and then, you know, the happy benefits are you get worms breeding, you get, you know, um, worms consuming bacteria and fungi um, propagating that all through your system, by going back down and, and pooping it all around the, the uh, rhizosphere. And, uh, it just, it's a way to sort of like steer the plant if you're adding specific amendments in and biostimulants, but it's and also maintain. you just maintain a healthy environment down there for all your critters and stuff. And, and I know I'm doing something right when the macro, uh, I feel like the macro effect, you know, uh, mirrors the micro. So I've got a lot of springtails and um, you know orbited mold mites and pseudoscorpions and weird stuff showing up in my system. um, Then I know I'm doing something right on down on that you know microscopic level as well. So. Um yeah in a nutshell that's what it is and we can go further into how I kind of tailor things towards the cannabis life cycle but that was going to be my next question was
2: like what's your basic recipe for like a veg setup or a, a flower setup you know like
1: what are your tailor recipes where are you aiming for Right well so at this point again um I'm trying to make as many of the nutrients uh, or grow my own version of these nutrients that I can then use um in what I'm doing And so you want a nitrogen component um, in your veg pod. You want heavy calcium component in my experience, especially depending on cultivar. Um, And those are the two things I really focus on. And the avocado delivers a lot of micronutrients. I might say it's almost like spoon feeding just the right amount of these, you know, lesser nutrients like copper and molybdenum and all these other things that you want to have a full cast of in your system. Um, you know, you're introducing it in a really, um, small, mellow amount. Um, and it's just a great way to introduce it into your system slowly, naturally. And you let the plant do a little bit of work for, for what it's going to, uh, it needs to associate, you know, it needs to associate with the microorganisms around it to really take advantage and to eat. And so,
3: um, it just folds really well into that basically. So, so real real quick question here coming from a guy that's only really dipping his toes recently into organics. Yep. If I was to take an avocado, slice it in half, put it face down on a cocoa plant without any worms in it, is that going to have any benefit or do I need worms in my, my pot?
1: So that is comes down to decomposition rate. You know, um, will it be beneficial to your system? I think so because, um, you know, certain microorganisms, you're essentially selecting for certain microorganisms in that instance certain stuff's going to be able to thrive that cocoa and other things, maybe not so much, maybe not enough diversity. Um, the conditions aren't right, but you will get certain ones and some of the most common ones. And especially if you use any biologicals in that cocoa system that are going to glom on and kind of rock with that. And they are, you know, fungi and bacteria are going to attempt to break, even if it's just ambient floating through the air or many times I find right on the shell of the avocado or whatever you're using. Um, and that ambient inoculation will, will kick off and you will definitely get, um, you know, micro, microbiology moving, which will be hungry and you can feed it other things, possibly salt-based nutrients if it has that kind of propensity, but uh, it, it depends. Um, it certainly does not end up being negative for your system. I've put them on what I would confer, consider fairly benign soil starts um, and it's really popped off some lovely things. And you can also take biology from another area and then move it to another area with the avocado tech Mm -hmm. you know that that hub if you will um you can bring it somewhere else so you could take almost like a living soil system and start to convert or excuse me you could a cocoa system uh, if that's the substrate that you want to use and start to convert it over to living soil yes sir yeah exactly exactly. now i'm curious
4: should somebody who is interested in getting into this um, potentially be concerned about the where they're sourcing their avocados. Um, you know, uh, large agricultural farms having heavy metals yeah. or potentially systemics in their avocados. Yeah. Uh, and then that getting into your soil and into your cannabis plant, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Ailing testing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah.
1: I mean, we are unfortunately, um, you know, <laughs> As growers, we are pretty resourceful in really getting into the finer um, aspects of where our amendments are coming from. And I would definitely suggest doing your research. I would always, of course, suggest using uh, organic avocados because they're just held to a specific standard. Um, And even more over than that, doing a little bartering and trading with somebody who's in an area where they grow well, um, if you can manage that, is a fantastic way to get a sort of a, a... uh, a little bit more um, assurance, you know, of your source. And again, it's not just avocado. Okay. I recommend, um, you know, anything from the curcubit family, uh, acorn squash, spaghetti squash, um, butternut. There's so a I, bunch of them that you can use. i
0: green peppers.
1: Sugar pumpkins. Um, you yeah,
0: cantaloupe in there the other day,
1: didn't you? Yeah,
0: have done that before.
1: Cantaloupe. Yeah, because what you're trying to do is
0: you're trying to use the basically the outer skin of it and you'll find that those avocados like I've had the same soil for three years It's a it's that four by eight bed and I can go in when I start digging around I can still find you know, like the husks of the old avocado They're all dried out and everything but man it, That's the point is that for girl you can actually change your soil from your straight cocoa Yeah, just by doing this you can go organic with it with time. Well that's and the why worms. The, the worms also uh, the worms by moving around like that, they're also sub-irrigating and, and allowing aeration to go through mm-hmm. all of your root zone and it's just kicking everything up, man. And once the system starts working, like we're talking about, dude, you got it made in the shade.
1: Yeah, it really it kind of does its own thing. So how do you
5: figure how do you figure out like I know you're not gonna have like 50 of them, obviously, that'd be way right. too goddamn many. So yeah. how do you figure out like how many per space in a bed or how many how per pot and and um yeah, it's dep- probably not super often. I'd imagine either.
1: It, yeah, it depends on whether you're actively feeding with them or you're using them. It depends on what you're using it for. If you're using it as a as a method to breed worms, um, you can get away with less because it just becomes a hub. But I never use more than a half of avocado for one plant. I grow bigger trees like I grow fewer plants, bigger plants. Um, I would not suggest being wasteful with it at all. A lot of times you can get if you have two plants space closely, um, or fairly close, you can get away with one in between the two and those root systems will both kind of interact and access with the hub that's going on in that area. So, um, if if, if you're actively feeding with it, um, I, I've generally started to lean towards larger vessels, you know, um, things like the acorn squash or I'm really digging spaghetti squash, man. They just, it's got a great, um, hard, uh, shell that lasts sometimes through multiple fillings um, you can totally grow them yourself in just about any climate um, and they 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 store fantastically i mean i have um some spaghetti squash right over there from from this past season and where are we at now we're in february i I one
0: sitting on my counter still bro (laughs) well talk about knowing your source you're growing it yourself you can build your soil for that too and know exactly that you're good to go exactly but i think about it like this is we're talking uh, it's assumed we're talking about either some kind of sprayer or uh, like you're talking about with the blue mats and things like that where you're able to keep a consistent moisture level to it it's very hard to do this if you're hand watering it because you're going to start to build mycelium like one of the things that I love to do when I made my mix was to add um, and get my enzymes going by throwing in the malted barley at the same time and yep. some rock dust, man. And, you know, you can just go down so many different rabbit holes of the different things that you can add, like you're saying, and really, yeah. really get into the minutiae of it.
1: And, and mulch is your friend. I mean, some people, um, you know, <laughs> has to be various mm-hmm. forms, but that's another way to get away with it. And watering is to mulch. Um, and if you mulch, that dome is going to stay. Um, You know, the center underneath it and just maintain as a hub and you can totally do it uh, hand watering. You don't have to have it. What I like is the autopilot aspect and also the uh, continual oxygen, oxygen, I'm not going to be able to say Uh,
0: oxygenation of
1: the the whole area uh, due to to the drip. So the drip emitter is constantly dripping down on the dome, cascading over the dome, um, carrying ambient biology in the air down into your soil as well. Um, or anything that, again, happened to be on your on your uh, your, your dome. And, uh, yeah, it's just it, it, it's a good synergy. I've, I've noticed, I've trialed the narrative, you know, for years now, and it's just, it, that's the way it seems to work the best, is just to have that oxygenated drip. I'm sure spray or, uh, you know, sprayers would be fantastic as well, um, but I use the blue mat just because it's, pa- it's passive um, and it's gravity-fed,
0: so no moving parts, really, per se. You could dial in the moisture level, exactly. Right. So we use like the the blue mat meter that actually goes in the soil and it'll tell you the, the percentage of moisture in there and shit.
1: Yeah. And I'm not Mr. Perfect watering either. Like I have dry spots in it's kind of forgiving. my blue mat setup and I'm okay with that because nature has dry spots and wet spots and these plants have adapted to rocking with it. And so you, I've kind of gotten into throttling my plants due to the amount of moisture that I'm providing and the way I, you know, fine tune my blue mats and such. Um, And and you can totally do the same thing with uh, hand watering. It's just more work and it's a little possibly less precise. And I feel like if you really dial in a blue mat, and again, this is not a blue mat infomercial, but um, they can, uh, the plant becomes the one who's in the driver's seat. So when they're, when the soil is drying out, it's in effect calling for more water. So as the plant uses it it calls for more. And so that's just another way when to put the, when you put the plant in the driver's seat, um, it's just going to focus on, um, you know, other things producing secondary metabolites and things like that, that you want it to be doing. And you're not the one in control throttling that So,
5: Yeah, I that's agree like, with you. If the plant has that constant amount of water there at all times, it seems to do so much better. Yeah. And again- I, I grow with sub which is kind of a similar concept, but uh, I, didn't have that. I, I would definitely be looking at blue mat, that kind of a thing yeah have you used yeah. one outdoors before does it seem to be, make sense to use outdoors or no
1: uh yeah absolutely no my 100 gallons are wired with, with blue mats and my okay. uh, green, uh also you know sun-grown stuff is uh i use the blue soak which is like a soaker tape for you, know, you guys like you know um for the horticultural folks and on the other side of things non-cannabis the uh, you know uh, uh soaker tape is is fantastic too um that in so-
0: carrots you know the deeper carrots the longs
1: yeah, I use the maxis, I use the shorties too, especially inside, because I like to get measure. you know, basically what Blue mat is, is a tensiometer, it measures how much tension, water tension is in the soil, and, uh, you know, when the soil... There's can- no moving parts, it's, yeah. It opens a valve and drips, that's it, I mean, there's not much else to it, and you can you can fold in a little bead, or you can fold in some biostimulants in there, and it's it's pretty handy, you know, to uh, to sort of passively, f- actively and passively f- you know influence your plants so
0: well the good thing about blue mat outside is that you can finally get it uh the reservoir up high enough to be able to get the pressure that you need to be able to get that blue tape to work right yeah i use 55 gallon barrels stacked on top of each other so it's perfect height um, how really- high up you're just one on top of the other one gets you there
1: yep yep my okay. reservoir, is 55 and um that's been fine for my for for my uses yeah
0: i like the idea of the
5: drippers because i imagine that's just like the best oxygenated water because it's falling through air just one drop at a time yep. getting super oxygenated
1: and cascading over the shell too if you're doing it over the avocado that's the mycelium
5: the mycelium goes crazy man
1: umbrella you know yeah hitting
5: that shell's probably breaking the surface tension getting even more <clears throat> yeah you're right
1: yep especially when you throw a little saponins in there and uh you know maybe a little fulvic um things like that really kind of like get that um you know uh you know break that surface tension like you said and really get that uh water getting into all those nooks and crannies important too so yeah i mean there's a lot of other little dial it in tricks and stuff but um you know, so I'm here to answer questions, whether they be simply about avocado tech or, or
3: how I combine other methods. Dry amendments, you mentioned dry amendments and folding them in, and I'm all I'm yep. thinking is like cayenne pepper, onion, some cilantro. <laughs> you know, I, I you gotta what are these dry amendments you're putting in? I assume you're catering it to the 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 cycle of life that it's in, right? So what type of dry amendments do you add? Right, so um, I usually use a combination of dry amendments and some type
1: of fresh. Aspect because I feel like there's a lot of fleeting aspects to decomposition that people can't throw micro <coughs> on, and so, so for veg example, I will take uh, either dry or fresh leaf or um, and I'll spray that. Um, and I'll add that to the filling, and then I'll use something dry. I like to use rock dust. Um, I like to use um, gypsum. I'm a big fan of gypsum um, for a calcium source and also a little sulfur bump as well. Um, what else? Um, uh, I personally use kelp because I'm from Maine and we have killer rope kelp here and I will just go collect my own and I will triple wash it. I'll soak it and then I'll dry it out. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll blend that into dust um, fresh, like, I mean, the kelp's dried, but I'll chop it up right as I'm about to use it. Um, and I'll incorporate that in there. And I usually only use that at one specific time in the cannabis, um, life cycle. I don't like to overdo it. Um, I'm cognizant of heavy metals. I'm cognizant of, of, of things of that nature. And I, I, I use just a little bit of everything, you know,
0: I, Uh, what week do you use kelp?
1: Excuse me?
0: What week do you use kelp?
1: I will use it, um, I like to get it in late veg um, when, I'm, when I'm considering uh, flipping, so I want to get it in there at least probably two weeks before I flip, and the reason why I want to throw it in at that point in time is um, the biostimulant aspect, more than anything, I want to create lots of nodes and lots of branching, and kelp is key for that um the you know the hormonal aspect of that kelp and the cytokinins that it brings to the table are um are killer you just again don't want to overdo it it has a great cast of minerals in it and such and I know a lot of people use it for that but I would be more likely to use uh something like a fresh seawater foliar for the mineral content than I would be to load a bunch of kelp into my soil that makes me pretty nervous um, it's an old trick, you know, an old gardener's trick, especially here in Maine on the island. You drive around and look at people's gardens, and they swamp the whole top of the garden with with seaweed at the end of the season and at the beginning of the season sometimes, and they'll let it break down over the winter. Um, and that's just been an old trick because it's cheap and easy fertilizer. But I imagine the the heavy metals this this point in the game are pretty heavy in some of those veggies. So I Probably, just
5: yeah.
1: as a biostimulant. stimulant. Um, what else do I use? So yeah you know, mineral component with a rock dust. Um, and then you got your, you know, your calcium, generally gypsum. I like gypsum because um, even if it's the granulated type, um, it's very reactive with water, especially if you have a water that you're using saponins with it, it breaks down quicker than you would imagine. Um, I do use oyster shell uh, flour or meal or however you want to say it. And um, some of my stuff is a slow long burn calcium um, input. And sometimes I'll incorporate that into the avocado tech, although I don't like to as much because um, the things you really need to take into consideration are the texture uh, and the abrasiveness of your filling. And you don't want it to be too jagged or anything that's going to interrupt the worms coming in there and having their little love shack. And sometimes, you know, the sharp shards of of oyster meal can interrupt that a little bit, as can, um, you know, the um, perlite in your soil, too. If you have perlite, I'm not a fan. Only because worms really don't like them. You know, like it, you know what I mean. They they they'll deal with it, but they don't really love it. You know, if you give them a soft avocado to crawl into out of that perlite, guess where they're going? They're gonna be right up in that. So
2: I've seen some cool pictures of like balls of worms inside
1: of avocado.
0: Yes, <laughs> on people. my Instagram page, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. and yeah, with research, that's just basically. Um, You know, uh, when worms get together and they um, because they're hermaphroditic, they will uh, writhe around and rub on each other and they will actually it will induce breeding. And, uh, you know, the breakdown of the avocado pulls them in and then they keep each other there for for a while. And I've had a lot of questions like, why do you want your worms up there? Don't you want your worms like down in the soil, like doing their thing? And if you ever watch a time lapse of like a worm farm, they come and go and come and go and come and go. And uh, they they take with them back, you know what they've what they've ingested up top. They'll take back with them down into the soil at some point. And uh, it, trust me, it's it's beneficial.
2: Well, and they're aerating the soil. So you got it, you know, by having that up in the top, it's beneficial because they got to go get it and then go back and mm. you know.
1: Yep. And I'm careful to use several different species of worms. They have different habits and they work different layers of your substrate um the red wigglers will really tear it up on the surface level and those are the ones you'll always see up in the avocado tech you know first and then uh european night crawlers will work uh lower they're a little more aloof they don't hang out as much um but you can get them you know busting into the the ball of red wigglers sometimes and, and even associating with them which is interesting and then most uh, and they'll provide a lot of lower aeration a lot of people say organics you know have has a uh, danger of creating anaerobic situations lower down in your pots over time and i don't get that at all and there was one point in around i'm on my round 15 right now of the same soil and um at around like 11 or something like that i started to get nervous that there were um some anaerobic conditions just cuz i'm tuned into my grow and i the smell had changed a little bit and i'm like What's going on there? And so I purchased some uh, African nightcrawlers and they work even yet another part of the substrate and they have been great for just keeping everything fantastically aerated. So I rock three varieties of worms and they live synergistically together. I, I'm sure the, the population's ebb and wane depending on what I'm feeding them and what's going on. Like, my how, sweater, deep
5: these, how deep are these beds that you're in?
1: Uh, they're probably 24 inches deep.
5: Okay. Nice. That's really deep. Nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I grow right now in, in my, uh, in my personal garden, I grow in, uh, they'd be considered what, like 55 gallons, I guess, or probably subtract some for uh, probably about 50 gallon, um, soil bins. Um, and so, and then in my greenhouse, I rock the grassroots fabric beds and, and, uh, they, they seem to the living soil edition and they seem to rock pretty well. So, there you go. Wow. Oh, so that was another thing I was going to say to Skillboat is uh, you were talking about um, another interesting thing to do is introduce a wood decomposer, a heavy wood decomposer. And there's these guys, Cringe, and then there's Millipedes. Um, and those are the two that I've seen that will uh, really go lignin crazy and want to really chew up wood and decompose your avocado husks. And I use wood chips, as you can see that he's showing you right now. There, I'm throwing a couple of fresh um, green beans in there to see if they will eat those up after I put the shell on top of it. Um, and, you know, these these organisms can tell when something is alive or it's dead or dying uh, just based on the chemi- chemical signatures that they're putting off. And and a lot of those decomposers will really move in when they feel something is dead or dying. Um, and so, yeah, those beans didn't actually disappear as quickly as you'd think they would. Um, because they are still alive carrying those seeds there yeah
5: those things are tough too those beans can be really tough
1: yeah and and we can get into that too i do i do a full complement companion planting i like to rotate what i'm doing um and at this point at round 15 i'm rotating by cycle i'm not even rotating during a cycle like one cycle i might have wood chip as my medium on the top and then another one i may have a green you know ryegrass or you know uh you know some other kind of green cover crop or some other companion edible companion plant and i like that switch that gives me sort of like faux seasons in 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 the scheme of the soil so kind of like fallow periods more active periods but you have the.
5: you're you're introducing uh, different food sources for your microbes at different times i like that
1: and you're and you're also keeping that hub of microbiology through avocado tech, so that no matter what's happening on the surface and, and you want that dynamic aspect on the surface, you're still maintaining that hub of biology. And I go, I'll break up mushroom fruiting blocks. I've already fruited out the, the mushrooms. I love growing um, lion's mane, reishi mushroom, oyster mushroom All in right. my grow chamber. Um, and I will then break up that, that spent yeah. Rain and that will sometimes be the surface of my stuff and then i'll
5: sprinkle up that man worms love that
1: means i dry out my a portion of my cannabis leaf and even buds anything lower lowers i don't want to mess with i'll dry that out and then i'll incorporate that back in so i'll put browns and greens back in at the same time and i i do it very carefully so that i don't get thermophilic compost i let the worms get in there and really you know tear it up and and if you have a good worm population, they'll go through your organic material before thermophilic composting even kicks off. You know, pre-inoculate, pre-inoculate, re-inoculate, pre-inoculate, you know?
4: So you know, if box. this thing really kicks off, I'll just start bringing a bunch of summer squash to these cannabis events and start <laughs> so Right. Do, so, so do you guys so see we coming up?
0: We're like two minutes from hash time. <laughs> so boxes. if you guys have a chance, go get your pieces and we're going to all celebrate together hash time. But now, do you see why I'm fanboying off of blue for all this time sequence? You, you asked me. Well, I'm in the being beginning. serious,
4: man. I, I can really, like, it, it, you, can you can go so resourcefully cheap. grow some spaghetti spaghetti swa- squash exactly, in London, man. man. You can grow a exactly. spaghetti squash vine and, like, two or three seeds and get yourself a few dozen, probably, spaghetti well, squash. Well, let's
0: talk about storing those, uh, Blue, because you said you can hold on to those. So if you grew, like, enough for the season, you could hold on to those through 12 months to be able to rock your garden. Just
1: about, I mean, maybe not a full 12, but, um, and again, it depends on your storage, how you're storing sure. them. If you have like a proper root cellar or something like that. You're killing it. You know, you can probably, and that's the thing is at the end of the day, worst case scenario, you have a dried out gourd vessel that you can just fill with your filling. Right. And that's, um, Rehydrate. yeah, well, I've been jumping into like trying, uh, grains like quinoa and, um, what else have I been doing? Um, faro and things like that uh, tempeh even i've used um interesting stuff like that to like be your carrier and then still use those mineral dry mineral amendments and those fresh mi- amendments i love using dried uh fruits uh in uh in late flower as a potassium source um that's another jewel and that helps um you know and in, in, in my opinion helps uh, facilitate uh terpene production as well so yeah, I'm a big fan of dried fruits and, and folding those in. So I use, you know, I use what's at my disposal. I try to keep a scrap bin that's, like, on my eye is towards, I'm going to use this for avocado tech. Like, right now I have, a uh, like, a, uh, a bin that I'll throw things in.
0: Hashtag.
2: Hashtag. i it. I can't play the song today because I'm at Painted Lady's house and I don't have that set up yet. But uh, just imagine that we're listening to the Catachronic play the Hashtag song.
5: You could hum it for us. So, this is a good question in chat from Potent Ponics, and it was answered in chat by Cheddar Bob. But uh, they're asking about those isopods that you that one picture. Yep. And he was asking if you had any issues with them going after uh, younger plants. And Cheddar Bob said that you use some kind of a tape around yep. the stems to keep them at bay. Yep.
1: So, um, one thing I've uh, noticed is like, again, I'm not trying to micromanage my garden all the time, I'm trying to observe it so that I can kind of start to see a common theme. And at first I like had introduced radio lay to my system and they were like the King shit in my soil. And then I introduced, um, or then hit a hitchhiker, a millipede came in and created a whole millipede population. And they were chewing up my wood like crazy. Cheers. And then, uh, after that, the wood louse rolled in again, a hitchhiker of some sort. And, um, <clears throat> they turned out to be, voracious, but little bastards on tearing up your, your vegetation, especially when it was young. Um, they are, they need to be pampered. They like a certain moisture level. Um, if you don't provide that moisture level, they're going to go get it in your plant material. Um, they're, they can be little fuckers and they can be maddening. But, um, what I did is I used the same sort of observation that I'd use in other, um, aspects to figure out a way to, to, to make my plants inaccessible. And what I did was, um, foil tape which is you know you tape up vents and things like that it's a sticky on one side and foil on the other side um what i did is make a little cone and i invert the tape so the sticky is on the outside and it's a really good sticky it's kind of a gummy kind of tangle foot sort of sticky and you just make a little um a little cone shaped um you know Dang. barrier on the stem of your yeah, there you go And they run up there, and they get stuck, and that's end of story for them. And they'll desiccate and dry out before I even get to them from the night before. Here's a couple starts I just put in. Yep, exactly. Um, This is part of the saga of my last run, which is, I feel like, kind of a champion right now because I was able to knock those fuckers out completely, and I was able to beat Russets for the first time. I have never didn't even know what a fucking Russet was practically a few years ago. Um, And I received a cut this summer this past summer, and uh, then the person who gave me the cut notified me like, uh-oh, I think I received some russets, and I, sure enough, started scoping, and I hadn't really seen much damage on my plants because I use Boveria bassiana, and I use it consistently to just keep shit off my plants, and uh, I held it, them at bay, but not, you know, it wasn't enough to eradicate them, so I started scoping. I realized I'd already transplanted the plants up into my, um, my big beds, and confirmed that they were on those plants and then the battle started and I was able to take them out and uh it was cool I uh, used a combination of techniques very Bassiano was one and again it was all timing and rotation you know I study IPM for sure just like every anybody who's into this shit studies IPM and um I eventually fell upon Well, it was a combination. I used the Bavaria Bassiana and then I rotated it with a leaf, completely leaf leaf strip of my vegging plants. And then I was able to dip all of those strip tips in uh, Suffol X solution, which is a horticultural oil. So the idea is to just suffocate them and then let all the vegetation regrow out. So then, you know, I'm not going to have anything on my flowers. And I thought I had this genius plan there. And it did knock them back super duper, but it didn't get them all again. And then I uh, fell onto Microthiol Disperse, which is a sulfur product. I've never used sulfur before in my garden at all, but it took those fuckers out. Um, and so that was huge for me. I uh, made up a little special blend of just through my own intuition with the Q from um, J Plant Speaker, his wizardry. Um, and a little bit of the Amino N from Bokashi Earthworks. And again, I'm not a product dude, but I do keep a couple around just in case.
0: Um, what are we looking at, sequence? Just spoon feed. Um,
1: right there is a mixture of Microthiol, Dispersed Sulfur, uh, the Q, which is a saponin product, and a little bit of Amino N. Um, and again, nice. thinking behind that was just to get it frothy as possible and get the best leaf coverage as possible. And I've never yeah. seen anything like it. It was i don't know if you can see it but you know when you like uh, blow bubbles with dish soap like that that tension yeah. in the water that's what you're seeing right there in those plants Is just like zero um you know it's just is getting in every single little tiny armor number. man I and man, it's I like
5: carrying, that.
1: carrying with it the sulfur and those russets do n- they just can't hang with sulfur man uh, even my even thrips can hang with sulfur and and russets can't apparently um but I, I was able to do it in, in veg and get everything before I flowered. And it did, um, that, that mixture was real thick. And, and I think I might've got a little bit of either light burn or just some kind of surface sulfur burn. Um, so I did get a little bit of damage on my leaves for sure. But when it started to flower, I've completely clean flower and I'm going to remove all those fan leaves anyway. So, you know, uh, yeah, we're really big really. on
0: ipm around here i do want to know one thing is you're talking about cycling your ipm and you really really go deep in this yeah. you want to talk about some of the things that you use and what your cycle is i mean honestly not much more than that i mean those have been my
1: three tools would very bassiana and again that's just the, it's a spore it's a uh, entomopathogenic fungi that will um basically attack uh soft-bodied and even not so soft-bodied insects and it will Worm its way in, for lack of a better term, into the exoskeleton, and then it blooms. And when it blooms, it's like aliens—the movie. It's busting out of every place, yeah. and it murders whatever it is. And so you need to keep, you know, manage your your environment when you're doing it. Keep it nice and humid in there, and that will faci- and warm, and that will facilitate the bloom. Um, and it can be that one comes from the
2: soil, right? That's a natural soil fungus. Yeah, yes.
5: yeah,
2: yeah. The other one I call it beneficial PM. Yeah, beneficial like PM. PM but That's yeah. one.
1: But they say compost cures everything it's because you are getting this consortium of all these microbes that are naturally in the soil and they do have mechanisms to deal with you know with with pests and bugs and especially when something's out of balance you know nature's just trying to put it back in balance and you know i don't look at some of these um anaerobes and things like that like they're they're evil they're just there to do a specific job when the conditions are a certain way so right. i don't and even pests i don't hate on them too terribly they just want to eat too and and Sometimes
2: just, there's a signal that you're just doing something wrong, and you gotta you gotta do something a little bit different. And then you know, you're like yep. you're getting PM for a reason if you're getting it, and uh, yeah, that's a sign.
5: Yeah, I don't
1: I don't get PM. I just I realized that air turnover is huge, and managing and not getting those ping pongs. I mean, you can slowly you know adjust your environment certainly, um, but it's the ping pong back and forth that cause things to sporulate and also sends that signal the plant sends out that signal that I'm stressed and I'm in you know and I and I'm vulnerable you know so you just got to be aware of that that's all because
0: uh, it only takes one night I mean I know it's a heartbreak but it only takes one night of it being out of out of whack for it to come if you have you know like a 15 degree temperature swing and you happen to feed that day so you've already got a higher than normal moisture level in there I mean it only takes one night so that's
1: you know, and and that's part of like the organic hunter gatherer thing I was talking about earlier. You know, if you have a healthy plant, it's going to have a nice waxy cuticle on the outside of the leaves. It's going to have that sheen, and that's just going to it's that's going to um you know help you in the in the battle. I did notice I haven't had PM for I can't even remember when, but I got a new uh, cultivar in um, called Emerald uh, Emerald Jack. I used to cultivate it years ago, and I got the cutting back. And I'm like looking at it and the thing had PM and I was like, what are you doing? So I put it into my system and it, now it doesn't, it's just went away. I don't even know how to say it in the other way. It just was well fed. And, um, you know,
0: it just, it just went away. Well, that gunk also really greens them up too. You know what I mean? When you start adding sulfur to things like that, you'll notice within a day or two.
1: Yeah. I, I I honestly, I've never used it before. This is the first time I ever used it. And, uh, you know, I guess it'll be in the arsenal now. It's kind of like the oh shit, shit button for me. Um, if I'm, you know, if, if things are getting out of whack and honestly, if anything's getting out of whack, it's because my life is tearing me away from the garden. If I'm there to hover all the time, I can keep a real good clamp on it. But if I, have you know, shit happens, even in commercial facilities where you don't scout that one plant for whatever damn reason. And that's going to be your vector. So you just have to be cognizant of that and, and stay on top of it. And everything's pretty much my own fault. If I had an issue, I shouldn't have taken that cutting with the russets. I, you know, should have been more mindful that I was bringing a new cultivar in that might be susceptible to PM and PM is highly, you know, genetic in, and in, in its propensity to just pop up. Um, and, you know, a plant can can grow out of it, and and, it's, and that's usually, you know, an environment will be the final guardian of, of whether that shit pops off or not. And But if you correct that environment, man, and keep it consistent, and in within range, there's absolutely no reason why PM should ever rear its head. I mean, it's everywhere around us. It's just not sporulating because it can't, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, as far as other IPM stuff, like, I use uh, beneficial bugs. Absolutely. Um, I'm a big fan of, uh, for spider mites. If I ever see them, persimilis is just an absolute warrior and murderer of, uh, and they can get you out of some jams. Um, they're just very voracious. They operate at a higher temperature. They move quickly. They kill the kill rates really high. So highly recommend persimilis for any kind of spider mite stuff, not for preventative, but for, you know, an active issue. And then beyond that, um, uh, cucumaris for your thrips, eye for your thrips, and these are all types of uh, of mites, tarsonid mites, um, that are predatory, and they'll uh, they'll do the killing for you. Um, and again, that's all about timing and application too. They're very sensitive to not having a food source, so if you remove the food source uh, they den- generally disappear so you don't end up with a plant covered in other bugs like that's what a lot of people are oh man we're trading one bug for another i don't want to smoke bugs but i'll tell you man if you get used to a- applying these bugs you will see them vanish and <laughs> it's in a- into thin air if you don't have a food source so
3: even ladybugs man and those those you don't have to scope you know what i mean you see those yep. just start flying into lights like dive bombing you know kamikaze style i don't know what to do but Uh, Yeah, I'm all about predator mites. you use nematodes? Um, I
1: I actually applied my first actual nematode um, application this past round um, only because I felt like I was being redundant before. I feel like some of the inputs that I brought from outside, um, I play around with IMO and things like that, but I feel like I was bringing, I'm sure I had some beneficial nematodes in my system already. And the only reason to use them would be to, again, as a knockdown, Um, If you've got something popping off in in the soil generally or something that has um, part of its instar or life cycle is in the soil, uh, that's
3: when you want to use something like that. So I actually disagree with you because I use both P. persimilis and the, I guess we'll call it the triple blend. It's like HBSF and one other one of the nematodes. Um, I try to use them once a month. It's probably more like, you know, once every six weeks or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'm also not reusing my soil so uh you know i'm bringing in soil now i used to be cocoa but in the last i don't know six nine months or whatever i pretty much transitioned over to uh you know store purchased soil uh you know primarily water only type right um but you know here i am flipping to organics and for the first time in like five years i'm seeing fungus gnats so i'm like all right bust out the yellow tape you know what i mean and those take care of them real quickly but um, I, you know, I do employ the nematodes and usually pee personless because that's just, you know, spider mites are the, the one thing I don't want in my garden. So, uh, you know, being, a, you know, a, basically in a building that you travel in inside and outside of, it's not a commercial facility set up, you know, where you've got a lot of different ways to handle that, um, before you get into the garden. Um, I try my best, but you know what I mean? I, I work outside as well. So, uh, those are the, the kind of the two things that I want, I don't want in my garden. Um, you know, of course. Powdery mildew is the other one, but if we're talking pests, it's definitely spider mites.
1: <laughs> yeah, no doubt, and that makes sense, and that's a good that that's a good reason to use them. Honestly, um, with the reusing of the soil, I kind of have a d- little bit of a different approach. And um, all I can say, radio led bro on those on those fungus gnats. Yeah. Once those babies-
5: Bavaria, you you have like the three pronged approach. You're like you got the Bavaria Bociana that's going to fuck them up. You got the nematose SF, which is going to fuck them up, and you got the well it used to be the hypostasis miles now they call it Stradiolapis scimitus or whatever so you got yeah. the the fucking soil pretty much f- on guarded from you know fungus and that larva fortress fungus.
2: baby yeah. larva. the worms interact with nematodes somehow too aren't they part of well, like the
0: breeding it's so all the threes man then you got the three different kinds of worms that are working below you got the three things in the dip i mean well, all that biology
5: moves throughout the substrate and water so the worms are um, facilitating that by making, you know, a little everything else to be able to make that easier.
1: Yep. Yeah, definitely the three-pronged attack. And while, I'm, while I got everybody here, since everybody is, is uh, you know, loves the plant, please talk to your local insectary or whatever insectary that you use if you get beneficials. I really want to see. There's a specific um, soil-borne mite called Galliolelaps gillespie. And it is was formerly thought to be a Stradiolelaps, a version of Stradiolelaps, which it is. I mean, they're cousins, but it's been named distinctly. And they say it can be up to 50% more effective on fungus gnats than just Damn. standard hypoaspis or Stradiolelaps. And they only are being reared because they were discovered in Canada or they're isolated in Canada and then reared. Um, uh, and they will not ship across the border. So I need all my growers out there to to send emails, to make comments on posts, Galio, Laylaps, and it's spelled crazy. Um,
2: but yeah, if- someone find us a spot. I can't, in
3: can't chat.
1: share that. Yeah, somebody give me a copy.
2: I um, tried.
3: Google literally gave me zero results for what I typed yeah.
1: in. <laughs> Bob is in the chat. I believe I sent him the name uh, before, but it's like G-A-E-L-E-A-E-L-A-P-S g-i-l-l-i-e-s-p-i-e or something like that galliolelaps gillespie gillespie Gillespie's the dude who uh who um discovered them i'm gonna and- remember his dizzy gillespie they look a little different like i don't is know it a it
4: nematode you nope
1: know, no, it's a soil-borne predatory mite oh. and it just hangs out in your soil but it tends to um have you seen some of the videos where you'll see all these um uh uh, miles or stradios, like circling the blue mat water spout or walking all over the edges of containers and stuff. These guys have a real propensity to do that. They're like m- even more of a Rover than the, um, than the others. And some people use Rove beetles and stuff too. I don't use roves. I prefer to keep it, keep it small and, and murderous. Um, so are these
0: guys pure carnivores or do you have that, to keep food around?
1: Um, these guys, I don't know if Gillespie is a soul is a, uh, Uh, feeds off of decomposing matter but the stradiolelips definitely does so I would assume that these guys do as well so they'll eat um, fungi and decomposing matter in your system unless you get a pest and then they act very much like how a red ant does on a red ant hill and they will just attack And uh, if that's the gardener's hand, sometimes it's the gardener's hand. They're so small, they can't bite you. But I'll be leaning in there taking a video and then I'll look at my phone and there's like 50 of these things running around on my phone. Holy crap. And they're, they're pretty voracious. I love that. People think, say they're not big enough to bite, but I swear to God, like they'll at least clamp onto a hair on your arm or something. I don't know there, but they're, and they, they pretty much stay put um especially the, the, a, a very similar to the roly-poly if you keep the moisture level right if you keep the decomposition going in your soil and keep the everything right they they don't crawl really up into your plants maybe you would traverse some of your stalks a little bit but they're really for like things like fungus gnats um i just don't have them i haven't had them in a long ass time and if they come i just look at them and laugh and wave because i know they're food for all these fuckers down in you know the snake pit i got in the soil you are right. down up there now in. yeah yeah. It's, and i'll actually if i get some fungus in a smaller container like something that i'm my seedlings or i'm vegging out i'll go take a scoop of my soil and i'll just bring it down i'll top dress it under those pots and then bye they're, they're done so that's a great you were
2: mr grow it not too long ago weren't you the yeah mr grow it so not
5: too long ago
1: yep yeah he reached out to me and uh yeah we did a little episode and uh, yeah it was great talking to him this i love I love talking to the people in in different disciplines and yeah and talking about you know ways that you can inc- incorporate this into what you do I'm not saying you have to wholesale abandon the way you're growing and I think that can be really near and dear to people's hearts like if you've discovered something that works for you why do you like why would I do that you know if you've invested in a in uh, the infrastructure to do a big compost pile and you make killer teas like do that that's they're fantastic but this was born out of something that you can do small in your kitchen. I'm, I was trained as a chef. Like that was my, what I was, my career path in life. And then I kind of abandoned that, but I, you know, so if it, it, it fit with my sensibilities and if you're handy in the kitchen, then this is like, and even if you're not, it's no harder than making the spaghetti sauce or something, you know, it's, it's not too crazy, but you can get as into it and crazy with it as you want. You can get the most regenerative, amazing closed loop sources, or you can, go down to the store and buy some avocados that's up to you i'm not preaching that i'm just telling people what i do and i'll get some regenerative folks who who get mad at me because they think i'm perpetuating people just using food grade and store-bought stuff but man at the end of the day that's your own personal choice and i respect you know all the different you know all the different um,
0: styles man we're splitting too many hairs in a niche community you know what i mean like start where you can start and worry about it later on
2: yeah. Well, I like how you talked about like the fruit drop thing and like how it, it is the natural way of things for like these things to just fall down on the ground, and, you know, decompose there. And so you're doing really an organic thing, truly an organic thing, I think.
0: So, so think about this as like a mix. You could take like craft blend and you could take the scoopings out of whatever you're using. Let's say you're using the uh, spaghetti squash you add that together i'm telling you i would add some rock dust to that and maybe when i grind up my enzymes you get that malted barley in there and it's just going to all go the one word you used earlier blue was thermophilic and yes. you were talking about the mixture between greens and browns and that and,
1: you, thermophilic is when you create conditions biologically that will heat up the you know heat up the compost exactly and so you know you may want to avoid that that could burn roots that can do i understand why you would not want to do that on top of a plant or next to a plant or close to a rhizosphere that's i wanted to get away with that away from that and that's the other thing is that you know the avocado is nice in a sense especially for indoor growing because it's this is smaller and the, whatever it, as i said even if it goes off the rails the buffering capacity of your soil system is going to take care of that for you and. I use also Bokashi because it's inoc- pre-inoculated with, um, flux, with anaerobes that, will, um, that can deal with anaerobic or uh, aerobic situations. And so if you get something that starts to get funky, you know, a lot of times that will take over and kind of still digest your, your pod and keep things moving. For anybody out there interested in trying, it's texture, 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 and moisture. Those are the two things that are, you're going to find the best success with, and that's why I say just start with a regular, regular avocado, whip it into some guacamole, put it back in the shell, and put it down, and just learn the, the, the vibe of it. Sometimes it'll be ten to twenty days, and that thing's gone. It's a hundred
0: percent. Some gypsum, maybe if we got some gypsum laying around, we should toss that into.
1: Yep, just be careful with it because gypsum, you know, can once once you apply that water, it can get kind of gluey. Um, so just. You know, I'm talking teaspoons and tablespoons here. If you go back on some of my posts, um, I will kind of make like a little color wheel or like I'll like try to put each ingredient sort of um, on there and the amount that I'm using it. It's like, you know, I'm talking like you could hold it all in your hand. Um, You're not going super duper crazy here. You know, you're you're relying on your biology to unlock those ingredients over time. You, uh...
2: If you get the right mixture of ingredients in there, do the worms uh, eat it up faster?
1: Like, do you notice that this is like a more tasty blend, so to speak? I mean, at the end of the day, the worms are called in by chemical signaling, but they stay for the fungal and bacterial component of the breakdown. They want to eat that, you know? And so, yeah, if you get the right mixture in there, it will sometimes go gangbusters. I get people hitting me up all the time through DM and PM being like, Hey, my my pod's not breaking down. What am I doing wrong? Like I'm keeping it moist. And then I'm like, well, what did you put in it? And then just the chef brain kind of takes over and is like, Yeah, what's the what's the consistency like there? Because a lot of times you'll mix something up, it will look moist, but then it will set up like cement. You know, so if you put too much of a mineral component in there and too many dry amendments in there, and think of malted barley, that's gonna absorb moisture. It'll like if- turn
0: into glue real quick, man, like <laughs> on top of your soil and shit.
1: So you kind of, I would almost recommend for people starting out to make the filling and then let it sit for a little bit and uh, just see where it sets up and where it finally finishes. It's not going to rot. You know, that's the whole point. You want it to rot. And so I, you could even put it in the uh, freezer or the fridge and like really check it. Because I'm telling you, nine times out of 10, when people don't have success with this, it's because of the consistency of the filling. The worms are just aren't necessarily attracted to it more than whatever else you have going on in your... here.
3: <laughs> Speaking of uh, checking it, have you had the opportunity to do any lab testing on any of this?
1: So that's it's it, that's an exciting new development. Um, I have been rapping with uh, soil scientists. I don't know if I I, I went on the show with um, the Living Soil Deep Dive with Leighton Morrison and um, and Brian, um, and they uh, Leighton offered to take a look at some stuff. I, unfortunately, like a dumb dumb, I get these offers sometimes and I don't follow up on them. And, uh, he, he offered to take a look, uh, just to see how much diversity I had, you know, directly maybe underneath the avocado and the soil system. Um, and then, I, a guy hit me up from Maine, which was really exciting because I'm very concerned about the fleeting aspects of soil when you send it in for samples. Um, Things die off extremely quickly in transit, and I just I wanted something close and somebody who can throw a microscope on it. I'm not quite there yet. I can see myself getting down with the microscope stuff. My wife is a trained um, marine biologist and has field microscopes and stuff, but I've just never. I only have so much time, man, and uh, I haven't dived into the micros- microscopic microscop- microscop- microscopy <laughs> of it all. <laughs> but I would absolutely be willing to at least get my ass in gear to send out some samples to some people to look at. But again, I operate with the, you know, slightly intuitive in the sense that, you know, micro is a version of what's going on in the macro. And if you have certain stuff going on in the macro world, you know that same thing's going on in the micro things just won't show up or present themselves the same way biologically or little critters and Arthur's pods just won't um, be as robust as when you're, you know, doing it keyed in and dialed in. So. But yeah, that's the next step. And also the testing, you know, how much is truly available? What is truly available? When is it truly available? That's why it's this constant cycle of what I do. I do three feedings per cycle to match, to tailor it to the cannabis life cycle. So I'll do a veg, I'll do a pre-bloom, and I'll do a ripening lack of a better term pod and that's when i'll hit it with a bunch of you know potassium and dried fruits and things like that to help facilitate some sugars and and a little bit more some boogie in the end um to uh give the plant um a sort of like be able to kick back and create those secondary metabolites and not worry about where it's going to get its fu- food source because i've front loaded it in the beginning a little bit so.
3: okay so that's that's my next question is uh you know i, I m- personally you know we all have our own grow philosophies right um personally i like to preserve terps i'm all about the flavor of this plant uh what what do you do or what do you think you could do to increase the the terpene production or or availability or however you want to look at it i want more terps what what can we do with avocados to get more terps I think one of the first things is um, having that chitin
1: cycling going on in your soil. You've got a lot of arthropods, they've got exoskeletons, they're chitin, you know, rich. Um, and I think that getting that cycling going on first kind of puts the plant up on the, a- awareness level that there's there's insects in the system and they should maybe produce some secondary metabolites and like compounds like terpenes to ward some of the ones off that they may not want there so that stimulates a little terpene production
0: I'm making a note to put frass in the next time I put my mix together add some frass a little like, I was just
2: me. thinking that that was such a good answer just right off the cuff that like oh yeah there's chitin and all of these arthropods that we just saw crawling around them
1: and like what I'll create sometimes is like a little bit of a boom and bust scenario where I'll get this b- massive breeding of whether it be stratios or millipedes or, or right now it happens to be the wood louse, the roly-poly. Um, but them living and dying in there um, and, and really p- taking what I'm feeding in there and using it to have this big boom of population creates this really available source of chitin. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's continuous and, and, but it's enough where it's not constant. Like I'm not, producing so many roly-polies or arthropods that it's like, you know, I've got to shut the grow down, you know, it's uh, but I am in a sense rearing insects and arthropods just as much as I am doing anything else in there. Um, I'm catering to them and they're, they're taking that. And so that's important to, to produce. Well,
0: that, that, that works helps. hand in hand too with the plant trying to, you know, we're, we want it to be strong and it's IPM and everything else. So the chitin is also going to make the plant think it's under attack. Yep. So it's going to be like, okay, cool. Let's go. Let's ramp it up, man. So we're getting terpenes. We're, we're working all these different systems.
1: Yep. And um, so that's one thing I would say another is make sure that you're, especially when you're using the hunter gatherer type of living soil um, mindset with your plants is that, um, you know, putting those, those building blocks of uh, the things that make terpenes, obviously, you know, car, plenty of carbon, but then, all these other compounds that um, I'm getting from uh, dried fruits and, and things like that, that, again, it's not like I'm feeding it peaches and it's pumping out peach terps. That's not how it works. But you are providing a lot of building blocks for these plants to kind of, like I said, sort of kick back and, and have the luxury of producing some of these secondary metabolites. Um, and again, and time stress is the other thing, like time stressors and flowering, switching up your spectrum of light, whatever those things might be.
3: That's can i can i just say ever since you said the fruit drop thing in like the first half hour of the show that's all You're i've been thinking about right. it's like oh man maybe i could just load up the base of my pot with cherries and we could like increase the cherry flavor somehow
2: <laughs> i've been thinking of all the things i've missed out and all my vegetable grows over the years and my mind is just going oh my god i missed out on so much shit yeah
1: and you kind of, it's, it's funny, like, that's where my mind went initially, too, with the cherry, like, oh, you know, the answer is in a weird way and not a direct way, yes. I mean, you can do that because you are putting those precursors back in your soil as they can decompose down. And so, will it be immediate? No. But wh- is it possible? I mean, I guess if your cultivar is predisposed to pumping out cherry terps, then there's so, got to so- be You're not soaking up the flavor and pumping out weed that smells or tastes like that, but I guarantee you, you grow some uh, cherry pie and feed them some cherries you're gonna like
3: that's kind of what i'm thinking because i i I, you know i've been planting fruit trees every year in my yard just as you know just something to do i guess and uh maybe in like 10 years i'll just pop out some cherry trees and (laughs) grow some like cherry lime haze and pop out some uh i don't know apple trees yeah grow some apple pies (laughs) Uh, can you call me
0: (laughs) abolish needs to start growing that baby poop tree then (laughs) <laughs> right. No. I was just thinking I better stay away from the squash. I don't want no. my kids so to taste had like that. I a
2: plethora that. of pawpaw trees, and I never knew what to do with them. This would have been perfect for all of my pawpaw trees. I mean, I, I had nothing to do with them. This would be awesome.
1: So, yeah, yeah. And I'll address, you know, I guess while we're on, on the topic of it... Um, any of you guys have any questions that are fears that I can address by doing it? Like I've, one was uh, fruit fruit flies. People were like really freaked out about fruit flies. And I'll be honest with you. You can get into a jam with fruit flies, not because they're going to do anything to your plants. But when you have sticky nugs in flour and you put the wrong sugary, you know, pod down and it's August when everybody gets fruit flies or whatever. Yeah. I mean, obviously use common sense. They're going to come around. You know, a simple vinegar trap on an indoor grow, gone, like, in two seconds. They prefer that over anything you could put in an avocado tech pod. So that's one I get. Um, trying to think of other things. People get concerned about molds and funguses, you know. Grow. I was always worried about the smells. Yeah. and re- that's been a deterrent for me, is the smell. I'm always worried about things being too stinky. <laughs> and this is not stinky at all. I mean, honestly... Okay.
2: Most of the organic stuff smells terrible, Tara. Nah,
1: not that bad.
2: Well, I'm things, out here in the country. <laughs> I smell lots of what's
1: worse. When you have, you know, those poopy kind of smells that are... permitted bottles and fucking... breakdown. You know, that's yeah. all. And that's why. Some of us are after the perp. poopy turps, though.
0: <laughs> Amen to that.
1: But, you know... <laughs> Bokashi comes in or something similar um, that will handle the anaerobic breakdown. I mean, they use Bokashi to reduce compost smell um, because it kind of, it takes over. It's a stack the deck kind of method where you're putting the biology on there and allowing that to take control and be the dominant force in there. So you won't get a bunch of stinkiness. I very, very rarely do I get anything that's stinky and again, you mulch around it and you just, I just don't see it. I don't see a lot of smelly stuff. If, if you are doing that, then maybe consider switching up your filling or what, how you're doing it.
3: What about transitioning from, um, you know, maybe, maybe okay, so I've grown a lot of great stuff with house and garden nutrients and other, you know, nutrients, just all, a lot of different lines. Uh, I'm currently trying this whole organic thing. What mm-hmm. are some tips you have for someone that's been growing synthetically or synganically or however you want to look at it for the last actually, basically 10 years this year, I think, um, how, you know, what are some tips for someone like me who's transitioning their indoor grow into soil? You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's different, but it's not that different.
1: (laughs) I would say, you know, folk don't, it's not going to happen overnight. So be patient. And then beyond that, focus on biology and re-inoculation of biology and re-inoculation of biology. And it doesn't have to be in an active way. It can be in a passive way, but just focus on your biology and making, think about it. Like, you know, you're catering to your soil and the microbiology in it, forget the plants. You know, that's kind of why I like it because I feel like I like to go in and check on things and see results. That's why I love growing mushrooms because it's so quick, you know, you'll see them pin out and then boom, you've got all these mushrooms. It's so, it's so fulfilling. And the cool thing about, um, you know, the way I cultivate is that I always have something I can focus on, whether it's, you know, if I can't focus on training the plant and observing flowers and all the things we all love to do, like late flower, love staring at the nugs and taking pictures and whatever we we're into, um, I can always focus on the soil and making my soil better and re-inoculating my soil. And it's really hard to completely overdo biology if you're coming at a minimalist sort of way it's hard to overdo it you can totally or- overdo feed and and newts and npk um but you're much less likely to to overdo it in the biology realm and that's all i have to say is just focus on that and figure out a way to be putting or- organic matter into your system you know in a in a throttled way you can totally throttle your soil it can be a i like to say it can either be a lamborghini or it can be a cargo van and you want the cargo van because it's got all the tools and the shit to fix the Lamborghini.
3: Ooh, do I though? Do I? Because <laughs> the sounds nice. <laughs> hey,
1: I mean, the Lamborghini's nice. You know, the the cargo van still has a gas pedal and you can throttle that baby up if you want to, but you, I'm telling you, you you want the slow decomp, especially if you're looking at it from, I'm going to reuse the soil. You don't want to a, a super soil style it and just burn everything out and then be done like and then have to go through the process all over again I'd rather you know front load and have slower breakdown and throttle my decomposition through temperature control um, through when I feed how much I feed how much moisture that's how I'm really throttling my decomp you don't want to end up with a bin full of worm castings because that's not going to do anybody any good it's just going to be uh, most likely anaerobic and and uh, and extremely hydrophilic okay
3: okay i definitely with the lambo approach then because i am not i can't even claim i'm, I'm doing it organically really because you know i went and bought a giant yard you know filled up my truck basically with uh, some you know beautiful bloom blend from michigan mediums and it's great i used it outdoors last year grew the best outdoor plants i've ever grown i was so convinced that i'm like i'm trying this indoors but i mean other than throwing some worm castings and bat shit on top like i'm not doing much to the soil and uh it, honestly at this point I don't even know if I really intend to reuse it indoors because I have such a big vegetable garden outside it's I think approaching 3,000 square feet I'm just considering top you know top dressing that and filling back filling it with that Um, which I've done for a long time anyway but you know now we've got this this organic soil to work with so uh, you know i don't know reusing just maintaining soils coming from the sky that's a
0: whole new world man yeah it's open but it and like a lot of work you guys <laughs> but the thing is think about this his soils even older than mine is he was doing this longer so as sweet as my shit was getting with it i think of how much further along his is and he's way smarter than i am and he knows way more sciencey stuff than i do so his shit's got to be better than mine was And I think about you and you're saying you want to take this use. So I'm not picking on you, but let's just talk about this. You want to take this soil that you just spent so much money making and so much time curating, right? And then you just want to go throw it outside, bro. Oh, it no, 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 hold
3: on, Hold on, let me stop you there. It's three hundred bucks for a, a cubic yard. It's not expensive. Buying it by the bag is expensive as shit. I bought what I you'll find is in organics. Three hundred bucks goes
0: so far in organics, though, that it's crazy. What no, you're totally reading
3: understandable. About. I understand it, but still, three hundred bucks to get me through like three, four cycles indoors. You know, like half a year. Sure, I mean, that's way cheaper than buying bottled nutrients. I'll tell you that much.
0: You're halfway to this side of the game. Yeah. I know,
3: I know. I'm on the fence, guys. I'm on the fence. I'm trying to get convinced. We Come need to more the
0: avocado things. side.
2: <laughs> no, no. There using the single-use plastics, but he's on his way over. There
3: you go. Yeah, man. Oh <laughs> <laughs> I man, you have great start by doing that. I refill my well water. Thank you. <laughs> I was definitely doing that too: front
1: loading and super soiling and doing all that kind of stuff. But it's. Um, And again, it's all your, your personality. You can grow fantastic cannabis that way. And especially really like robust and powerful cannabis that way. But mine has a certain, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's it's just something different about it. It wasn't overly, it's, there's something to do with it being, um, I approach it with a minimalistic kind of aspect to it. and And that translates somehow. I'm not over trying to overdo any, anything in a certain way. And I think sometimes certain, Certain aspects of super soils can sort of overshadow the f- the flavor profile sometimes. You know.
3: Well, damn it, because that's what I'm here for—is the the flavors. <laughs>
0: it, I mean, <laughs> so what do you think has a negligible, like a, a negative taste profile that you've seen through super soils? Like one thing that you've been able to identify. I know one.
2: Do you? Well, what I'm do middle. you
0: know? Fish shit. Me. Fish shit is what yeah. you see through
2: the fish shit. You can taste the fish shit in the in the weed.
5: Is that a bad thing? I'm going to yeah. say for girly, really if and you probably already know That's this, thing. but I think the terpiest weed that uh, I've ever grown is just outdoors. And, and I don't know why, but uh, I yeah. try to do the same shit outdoors that, that I do inside, but outdoors is the fucking tertiest weed. It's uglier, but it's fucking the terpiest <laughs> And sometimes the high is like enhanced, like better.
1: It's trying to protect itself, you know? That's one. Yeah. Sure. And just that variety, that wide spectrum that it's receiving from the sun, it's getting different cues. You know what I mean? So it's doing different things. Yeah, I might inter- be attributing
3: who knows what. I might be attributing too much to the soil. You know what I mean? I've already had great success indoors with it. Don't get me wrong, but you know maybe it was just because uh, I was in a good spot outdoors and I had you know vegged them right or something like that. Um, but I'll tell you what, that soil combination of that and the sun and a lot of free rain, they did great. <laughs>
5: Mm-hmm.
0: with certain amount of pressures too you know i mean the, the, it was perfect last year the way the
5: rain came is like i watered i think twice the whole fucking season
1: the drying cure too man that's i mean honestly you can have a grade a product and if you fuck that up it will be a c or a d immediately like the drying cure to me is like the mm-hmm. art i mean there's obviously complete science to it but that's the art of arts for me is is realizing do you have a sesquiterpene or a monoterpene heavy plant is everything going to gas off really easy with the monoterpene profile? You know, I keep my all my flower whenever possible under 70 degrees at all, at all times. I notice that if it ever even gets introduced to uh, 70 or over in the uh, drying stage um, and even the carrying stage, but usually that's under a container, so it's not so sensitive, I, the, the monoterps blow off. And even if you can just preserve a small portion of those, and especially in cultivars that don't have a propensity to have a lot of monoterpenes if you can preserve some of those it just adds a whole nother like element to that that cultivar and really really flips the script on on that and uh you know the sesquiterpenes are more the waxy lipid terps that are hard to cook off um and they um you know and, and they're great you'll find that in a lot of og strains that don't really pop the max and uh, not that that's an OG strain, but um, you know, some of those ones that like people are like, Oh, it looks so crazy, but it's lacking something, you know, ch- a lot of times it's just, uh, you know, maybe even the slightest temperature variation can gas off a lot of that goodness, you know? So that's just one of my things that I do is I always try to keep it under 70 by any costs. If I, if I goes over 70, I start crying.
3: Oh, fresh frozen, baby. <laughs> um, Blue, I was
2: wondering, or I was interested in asking you about your dispensary before we got out of here but i was wondering if you wanted to keep it on growing or not um i saw that you own a dispensary and that's really really cool so i was interested in hearing the story and how you did that and like yeah some of
1: the the shit you're running into you know running it you know nice i really appreciate you mentioning that man i mean i don't like to jump up i like to come on here and talk about plants you know i don't necessarily want to try to push you know business it's not about money to me i just am trying to find avenues to do what i love and make a living off of it and uh,
2: it's hard to go from growing to to doing that you know and that's the thing that i think a lot of growers have aspired to do in their career of growing so i was just curious and hearing the story
1: totally well so to give you a little bit more information about me um my family business um has been on this island for 41 years um my father started, um, a, a liquor store, a a beverage outlet, basically, um, beer, wine, liquor. And I, uh, had left Maine when I was younger and I came back and needed a job and I did not want to work for my dad just because nobody wants to be around the dad all day long. But (laughs) I figured I'll I'll give it a shot. And I got really into like, um, uh, wine, the wine aspect, you know, the sommelier kind of aspect of things. And, uh, found out that I had a pretty good nose for it. And um, so I kind of started with that. And so the dispensary, when it all, you know, the recreational um, cannabis was passed in Maine in 2016. Um, it seemed like maybe something that was would go hand in hand because it's retail. It's I'm already doing retail. I'm already recommending stuff to people and people don't know what they want. And that's a real big kind of, um, you know, uh, uh uh, pitfall of, of dispensaries is, is that, you know, people don't necessarily know a whole lot about the plant. Um, and so I felt like I knew quite a bit about the plant and I knew retail really well. And, um, so the, I, I got on it really early. Um, and I followed the legislation as they were crafting and molding the rules. And I listened to countless hours of the legislators, you know, talk about how they wanted to unveil this and do it so that I could kind of get my mind around what kind of business I needed to open. Um, and I got the opportunity, they did like a local opt-in style law so that every municipality needed to opt in or they were by default opted out. So I started, you know, attending, uh, you know, select board meetings and town meetings and, and, and started telling them what I wanted to do. And I was like, look, we can come in and and conscientiously make the rules here for our town because we are allowed to be a little more restrictive than the state rules and we can lay this out how we want it to be laid out, you know, because we take pride in, in local business around here and we are a tourist destination. And so we do need dollars from, from outside to to exist as year-round businesses. Um and so I just started working on it really, really early and I started to talk, I had to sit across from a table from the police chief and tell them I wanted to grow weed or or sell weed. I had to sit across from all the town fathers and tell them what I wanted to do. And they were all like, why the hell do we have to be the first town in this region to put our foot forward? Do you want us to look like the weed town of the coast of Maine? What the, you know, because at the time there was only, there was less than 20 municipalities opted in. um, And we were the first one to open up in our entire county. Um, And, you know, I I love the program i was a medical caregiver i cannabis is medicine through and through but for to take it to like a, a, a level that i needed to be able to do it professionally i needed to cater to our little microcosm and that's the tourist industry and you know yes there are reciprocal medical cards for certain states but um i really needed to be able to access everybody if possible and um, now I'm just trying to fight the little guy fight. I, I started this thing with no investors. I started this out of you know my own bank account, which was not that fat. And um, I just grinded, man. I just I just grinded. And uh, now we're at a point where I'm employing my two best friends, and they are coming into their own as fantastic bud tenders and learning, you know, uh, the science aspect that that I certainly preach. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's been amazing and they've got full time jobs and they're feeding their families and I couldn't be any happier. So um, I'm just trying to align myself with people in the industry that is burgeoning here in Maine, um, regenerative, organic whenever possible, but also just, you know, providing, you know, a, a little glimpse of what what this industry could be, you know, if we do it right.
5: So. That's awesome. What do you think the future of cannabis is either, you know, growing or in the industry as a whole?
1: Um, you know, grow your own weed hundred percent. I, 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 own a dispensary and I smoke my own weed only like I, I do. That's just I, cause I grow good weed. And I know, I want to know exactly what's I'm inhaling into my lungs. You know what I mean? And so grow your own. I, I hope that the home grow never goes away. I hope that it remains robust. Um, it's just it's a great way to to learn and learn about yourself and and to help other people even. Um, and so, always do that. I want the medical program to always exist. I think that it should really deeply delve into medicine. And we need caregivers who are going to make are going to grow specific cultivars for specific maladies and are going to make them available to people. You know, in in a way that's 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 uh works for their life is cost effective whatever it may be so may the medical program never ever die um and and we've got some really killer healers out there who who can guide this plant in a way that can create some miraculous results and and make people really feel balanced and right and healthy so shout out to that and then as far as you know the the industry i just want to educate i just want people to know that it's more about you know it's not about thc numbers it's not about um you know you know, it's not about, um, just getting blasted, even though you, you know, you absolutely can do that and not do it with the best of them, but, um, there's just so much more out there, um, for people to learn and how you can really tailor and, and make your own experience with cannabis. If you don't want to be bouncing off the wall, there's a, there's a, there's a cultivar for that. If you want to be relaxed in the seat, there's a cultivar for that. If you want to vacuum the ceiling cause you're so high, then there's a cultivar <laughs> for that. You know what I'm saying? So,
0: um, Cheddar Bob was asking us earlier to ask you about, I believe it was Moe's canatonic. Is that what he wanted to know about?
1: Mays. Mays. There you go. That's M-A-E-S-R-I-P to Cindy May, who was a canon warrior um, who had a very specific condition, which created uh, just intractable seizures. And um, there was a, a, a grower who took it upon himself to just do a giant phenol hunt of some uh, canatonic and found this really unique one that happened to work for her endocannabinoid system, just kind of lock and key. Um, And it was a uh, 20 to one. So um, very, very high CBD content and very, very low THC content because she was a pediatric patient, essentially. Um, And it's just has, has a really unique terpene profile. Uh, It grows very, very frosty. It's, it's finicky. It's ropey and weak in some senses it needs to be supported um but it's a cool really really cool cultivar and i've lost it i've lost the goddamn cultivar but i have given it away um to other people and hopefully it will at one point return to me due to that oh hell yeah it, it's a really unique one it has very sort of like earthy spicy incense i love smoking it and then coming back into the room like i leave the room on purpose after smoking it and come back into the room just so i can smell it it's got a very like I can't describe it. Sweet sandalwood. It's gorgeous. It's just a really, really gorgeous smell. And I make a lot of um of uh, ethanol tinctures out of it. C B D A in particular. Um, so unheated. And I I, I Oh I, yeah, man. I I, I I take that tincture all the time. And so I still luckily have a store of it that I grew and I'm still working on some of the tincture that I make, but I make like uh week you know i'll make monthly batches of it but i would really as far as getting back to your question about where i'd like to see the cannabis industry grow i would love to be able to create a fresh tincture program very much like a a a growler program with beers i want to make fresh ethanol tinctures and then weekly you can come pick them up and it's enough of a supply for you to use in a week and then come back and pick it up again because then you get this flavonoid and cannabinoid and terpene profile that is through the roof and it's just super duper healing like for people who have uh, you know cancers um especially uh, fatty organ cancers like brain uh pancreas liver um this the flavonoids are key man unheated flavonoids are like the, the cancer buster they're killer um and so i'd love to see a fresh tincture program be and popular. you're talking
0: about like an alpha like the ethanol kind the 190
1: uh, yeah, actually, you know what, um, I'll give you guys another jewel of something that I do is, um,
0: dude, I've been doing it for years and I find that most people, I hate to be mean, but they're like kind of pussies about it. And so they only want to use the glycerin and they don't understand that the glycerin doesn't extract as well as the alcohol does. And you're missing something in the glycerin yep. ones. That's not there.
1: Check this out. I'll give you guys a jewel. Hopefully everybody will be out there buying this, this shit up. And trust me, I'm not sponsored by anybody, but I, uh, I use 80 proof. Um, and if you can find a great organic 80 proof, what you do is you purchase yourself a, um, I use like a, a steam table bath style sonic um, cleaner, like a jewelry cleaner. And it right has on. a steam table tray in it, for lack of a better term. And what you do is you take your, your maize in this case, and um, I'll break it up into a very even consistency. If I'm really on point, I'll put it in the freezer after it's broken up and then i'll put my 80 proof in the freezer and then i combine the two as fast as possible into this sonic jewelry cleaner and put that baby on for about three minutes and i do three rounds of three and by the time i'm done i have this beautiful milky straw colored liquid which has just knocked all those trichomes off in busted them into solution in this ethanol and um it mixes it very well and then i will pour that off and strain it and uh and then i'll put it put it into the fridge for storage and that's how i i do my tincture and and i'm telling you the terpene profile on it is nuts and what it is is the sonic jewelry cleaner literally vibrates the resin off of the uh that's of, crazy and uh the is killer man it's just i yes i'm not making hash here you know what i mean i i understand that there's particulates and and everything but for a beverage of something to tape sublingually underneath your tongue fire absolutely okay now what's the cost
0: on this man how much does that cost
1: i mean they're probably like between if you get a really small unit they're probably like a hundred bucks and if you get a better one they're like oh no shit 170 to two something and like if if you want to do some bigger your batches and i'm really the only person that i can think of that's really stayed and consin- continuously rocked with this and try to kind of like hone it in and i'll get like rosé colored liquid sometimes if i have anthocyanin rich oh, i gotta do this now man it's dope it's really really dope and i'm telling you the 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 hidden jewel is the flavonoids you're not heating the and it actually has a heating element on it so you could do like a long you could decarboxylate in there if you wanted to or you could pre-decarb your weed but like this way I, it's just it's just this fresh fleeting awesome tincture i can't describe it any other way and that's why i'm the
0: sequence has been my uh, alcohol tincture warrior before
1: yeah, the one nineties is just too hot. I mean, people run away from it. Dude, what the hell? It'll scar up your lip. You know what I mean? And like, you'll feel like you know it hurt. You can get used to it, and I'm and I, I I got used to it. You get a little callous he,
0: in the mouth. He can't oh, taste thanks, anything. Man.
1: No.
0: Yeah, man.
2: No. he can eat hot pockets right out of the microwave and stuff.
0: Dude, <laughs> what are those called? Pizza rolls?
2: Yeah,
5: man. Now my dad actually burnt the. He had to go to the emergency room from a piece of Cheese that burns lip from a from hot pocket, those things are dangerous, man. Out of the oven, he so. just
2: goes, Put this tincture under your tongue for like no, 30, 30 seconds or something. And I'm like, yep. Dude, it's like lava
1: in your mouth. Yeah. And apparently, he's fine with that. I do three minutes, I keep it in my mouth for three minutes. Yeah, I go what? 60 seconds, but it's eight. But it's, I use the 80 proof, and so the 80 proof that's why I switched to the 80 proof. It's the same kind of thing, like I was just reverse engineering, and I'm like, This one makes I, sense, I, man. People don't like it. The shit tells, tastes like you just mowed the grass, and it's just it ain't. It's not the look, but the way I just the the way I just said it right there before is it preserves the natural per- terpene profile. I mean, I, I bet you could reduce it down to some badass hash. I mean, it's basically- well,
3: okay. That's all I've been thinking about is can can someone out there, one of you hash heads, please try just buying five gallons of eighty proof and doing a wash run. With 80 proof, it's see what comes out, throw the ice in there, do it all like you normally would. Just be very careful. Yes.
1: Interesting.
2: Yeah. I would
5: think that you just have a lower return. I think yeah. it would be just it could be just as fire, just a lower return.
1: I mean, extractors are scientists and they're way more adept at this than I am. Mine's definitely a, a crude, you know, at the end of the day, it is a crude. You know, final product, but it's exactly what I'm looking for as far as preserving the things that I'm looking for and the healthful aspects of what I'm looking for. Well, you're talking about a rose, that's that's completely different.
5: But you, yeah, you adding the sonic aspect to it with the the cleaner is is kind of
1: agitating, yeah. yeah,
5: It's it's accounting for your loss with the proof, and and you're going to get your return back because you're adding that sonic, whatever. And it's better.
1: Go and grab it right now. I will hang on,
5: yeah, man. uh, I mean, in a, in a,
1: and, you can see the connect. You can see the trichome build up at the bottom. Like I- I'll show it to you. Hang on.
4: Yeah, four minutes. Go, go. In theory, I mean, if you're using high quality, eighty proof, you know, it should only just be forty percent alcohol and water, you know, so it shouldn't be much residual Right, of- right. and that's why I'm gonna get like, fucking- is- me one that of those, is- and then I'm I gonna put big high ass high speakers
5: high. and just blast fucking heavy metal too at the same time. <laughs> what are
0: you? What are you choosing?
1: I don't know if you'll be able to see this. It's uh, probably some
0: disturbed. Focus on them. Sequence. But-
1: let me see so I can see. All right, you're going to see down here. Let us see where my camera's at. See? Right there. That's all. Oh, I can see a line, yeah. That's
5: head. Oh, yeah, yep.
1: Nice. See a little bit. But anyways, uh, it gets all milky and cloudy once I mix it up. Um, and again, this is not my most refined version. This is This is something a little different. But I just wanted to illustrate that. The heads definitely fall out of solution, fall on the bottom. You could refine it probably if you wanted to. but I'm no hash maker. I'm just saying it's a great method to get those things that you want those flowers exactly, you know,
5: shake it once you get to the bottom of that tincture. That's the best part. <laughs>
1: so <laughs> what is what the is the my strata. key
0: search word that I'm supposed to use to find this is it a, a, the the jewelry cleaner? I would say sonic
1: jewelry cleaner, ultrasonic sonic jewelry,
0: ultrasonic cleaner. Okay. jewelry, ultra-sonic cleaner, jewelry Don't cleaner.
1: Get- thank you. Shit! Don't any of that weird shit. Get how uh, big do they get? Uh, they get to like be-
3: laundry machine size.
1: <laughs> there's, I bet there's a huge one. There's actually a sonicating wand that you can do, so you can have any vessel size. And you can put the wand down in it, kind of like an immersion blender. Like
0: Stinger, yeah.
1: Those are expensive. Any they- vessel, you say? THC. Yeah. That's a well high... But um, and they they vibrate at a higher rate also, so it's like almost like a little more uh, violent. Whereas these are kind of like semi-industrial and uh they're about like i said the size of like the bigger wider steam table if you've ever worked in a kitchen
5: Um, yeah you could you could refine it by fucking just pouring it through your fucking bubble bags just to fucking pull off any particulate that's left yeah after that and then you'd have some pretty clean fucking tincture i would think
1: especially like if you do a one really gentle wash too like a real like do a just one three minute run and you just are starting to get a tinge to that, that's gonna be like your virgin, your best, you know, version. But that again, you have to make sure your, your starting material is very clean. That's you know, if you're doing it with outdoor or something, chances are it's gonna be pretty grimy. And it's great to ingest, it's just not gonna be your your, your... Yeah.
3: found a 30 liter. That's like cool. what cool trick. Yeah. A little trick that I do, and that's one of my
1: My personal medicine type of things. And, you know, it's great for your gut and it's great for, um, as anti inflammatory, you know, depends on the strain you're using. But I'm a big fan of, um, the acidic cannabinoids, THCA, uh, CBDA. Again, save my THC proper and, uh, and terpenes for getting high. But as far as like just for a steady diet of stuff, I like my acidic cannabinoids. They've got properties that the other cannabinoids, um, that are decarboxylated just don't have. And, um, that's, that's great. If you can juice cannabis, I'm super into not even juicing it, but just blending it into like a, a smoothie or a shake. It's fantastic. It's just super healthy for you. It is, especially when you know how you're growing it, you know? For
0: sure. Blue, thank you so much for joining us tonight.
2: Do you want to give us uh, a sign off? Where can everybody find you and your, your dispensary
1: and all, all of that? Yeah, actually, we didn't even get to that. So the name of my uh, shop is called Mary Stem, um, like the apical Mary Stem of a plant, the, the top growth tip. Um, and we're located in Southwest Harbor, Maine, um, on Mount Desert Island, uh, near Acadia National Park, Bar Harbor. Some people might know those, those buzzwords. Um, and, uh, yeah, open, uh, currently five days a week and, uh, yeah, all you need is an ID, no medical card required. Um, and we're trying to bring the, uh, the best, uh, products that we can to Maine that is, you know, are conscientiously grown and hopefully, have, uh, re- uh, eventually regeneratively grown. And uh, I hope to have my own cultivation facility soon to be able to have my own house brand for the shop. I'd love to be able to do that. So and um, hopefully uh, that will be grown via avocado tech. So um, that's on the way you can check me out on IG. Instagram is my main domain where I spend most of my time. Um, And that is at blue of green tank. Like you see up here on the screen. Um, My own part, my own personal vlog and part, um, you know, a learning thing for you guys you know i'm i'm here to pass it out hand it out i answer most dms at this point and um you know i just try to help people do their thing um but what i would say is soak up my content first before you come to me and ask questions i like people to kind of like you know answer ask me specific stuff i can't make magic with everybody everybody Mm -hmm. So grow your own style your own thing
2: (laughs) hey thank you for joining us man
1: really appreciate
2: it
4: absolutely thank you
1: yeah, guys, it's been great. Love to kick it with you guys sometime again soon. If you ever have any like specific topics, love to jam <laughs> Oh so.
0: Hell yeah, man.
1: To the chat. We'll see you tomorrow night. At
5: the Cheers, everybody. L- Cheers, L- everybody.
2: Cheers,
5: L- everybody. So, so everybody.